0: Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the great privilege we have of being here together with you, and we just ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would come now, would work on our hearts, Lord, and speak to us, and Lord, that our hearts may be open to the truth that you have for us, that we would be changed, that we would be transformed, that our lives would be something new, something alive, Lord. The Bible says that we are dead in our trespasses, but that Christ has the power to make us alive again. And so I pray tonight that as we begin this week, as we begin this GYC Southeast, that our hearts would be reaching out to you, that we would be longing for you, that we would be desiring you, and that you would be found by us, Lord, because our hearts are open to receive the beauty of everything that you have for us So we ask, Lord, to draw close to us tonight, speak to us in a very special way, pour out your Spirit upon our hearts, and cause us tonight to make a decision for you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. A number of years ago, and back in 2008, uh, I was preparing for a mission trip. I used to work at Amazing Facts. And I taught Bible classes there, similar to, very similar to SALT here. How many of you are familiar with SALT? If you haven't gone through SALT, I want to encourage you to do that uh, in one of your semesters here at Southern. And uh, I was teaching at Amazing Facts, our, 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 the Bible school there. And at the end of every session, we would take students on a mission trip. And this particular year, we were going to go to Honduras. And about a month or so before... The tr- mission trip was to take place. I actually had some some strange sensations in my in my stomach area, and I had this uh, kind of just this warm sense. It was just a weird feeling that wasn't normal, and it continued for several days. And so my wife told me. She said, "Hey, you should probably go to the doctor before you go on this mission trip." So I I went to the doctor, and he said, "Oh, it's just some kind of little minor infection." And I'm going to give you some antibiotics and you should be good to go in about a week to 10 days. So off I went on the plane down to Honduras and we landed and And I was going to preach uh, 19 nights for an evangelistic series. And I had a team of students that had just graduated and they also were preaching uh, evangelistic meetings. And so the as I continued in the trip, the pain that i had or actually the strange sensation that i had began to turn to pain and it was very difficult to to focus on my sermon and it seemed like almost every hour the pain was getting worse and worse until i i I hardly could stand it and there were times when i would work on my sermon through the day and uh, i would be laying on my bed just kind of doubled up and doubled over and it was a very interesting thing because the pain was so severe as i mentioned it was difficult to concentrate and yet i would still somehow manage to get my sermon prepared and then in the evening i would go down we would take a 45 minute uh drive uh down into the the town where i was preaching and i would be sitting in the church going through the preliminaries and um, my pain would be so severe i could hardly stand it And they would go through all the song service and all the announcements and all that stuff. And then when I would get up to preach, all the pain would suddenly go away. And I wouldn't have any pain. And I would preach that sermon. And I would call people to make decisions to follow Jesus. And people would would choose. People were raising their hands. And and, uh, then at the end of the night, I would go to the back of the church to shake the hands with the people. And I'm not kidding you that when the last person would shake my hand and go out the door, the pain would start again. The next day I would get up and the same thing, I'd have that pain, work on my sermon all day, drive down 45 minutes, sit through all the preliminaries with the pain, stand up to preach, and the pain would go away. When I finished shaking the last hand, the pain would start again. Now somebody would say, well that just seems to be a coincidence. And, you know, somebody has a right to say that. But it happened 19 nights in a row, and by the grace of God, almost 30 people gave their lives to Jesus and were baptized during that series. Well, I knew that something was wrong. So when I flew back home for Christmas, I called up my doctor, and he said, "Well, after the first of the year, we'll get you into a urologist." And so that pain continued to increase. I noticed that I had a little knot um, in my groinal area that was, you know, it was not very big. But that thing continued to grow, and it was actually a tumor. And so in just, you know, not even less than two months, that thing almost got the size of my fist. It was very large. And so when I got uh, home, he gave me the number to the urologist. I called the office, and they said, yes, we have your your referral, and uh, we'd like to get you in. They said, but it's going to be about three months before we can get you in. And I thought, man, I don't have that long to wait, and I'm in a lot of pain every day. So I said, okay, you know, whatever you can do. So I hung up the phone with them, and I began to pray. And I said, Lord, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know what the problem is, but you do. And if this is going to be something that is serious, and I need to uh, get in to see this doctor, you're going to have to intervene here. And so within five minutes, the phone rings again. And it's the, it's the doctor's office, at, the, at the, uro, the urologist. And they said, you know, the strangest thing happened because this never happens because it takes so long for people to get in. But just after I got off the phone with you, someone called in and actually canceled their appointment for tomorrow. Can you come in? And I said, yeah, I'll be right in tomorrow. And I got off the phone and I was so happy. I was thinking, man, the Lord worked. And I thought, wait a minute, <laughs> this could be serious, right? Because I prayed that prayer. So I went down to the urologist, and he sent me to get an um, ultrasound. And when the results came back, sure enough, I had, uh, I'd had cancer. I had a form of very aggressive cancer that was uh, very treatable if treated. But if left untreated, it's one of the deadliest cancers. And so um, they told me that I would have to have surgery and then possibly chemotherapy after that. And so they scheduled me for about three weeks out to have the surgery. Well, during those three weeks, it was some of the most intense three weeks of my life. Um, I had major pain. Uh, I could not sit down, stand up, or lay down. I walk around. I had no relief whatsoever. The only relief I had was when I take ibuprofen to 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 uh, would reduce some of the inflammation. And then about ten days before my surgery, they told me. If you're taking ibuprofen you have to stop (laughs) so i didn't have anything so i just endured that pain i would wake up with night sweats and and it was like somebody took a whole bucket of water and just threw it right on me and so it was just a miserable experience And, and then finally the day of my surgery came so i go down to the hospital for the surgery i'm prepared to to do that and i get through the surgery fine i'm in recovery And they come in and say, well, we've discovered that the lymph nodes, of or I'm sorry, the cancer has actually spread into some of your lymph nodes of your your chest and abdomen, Um, and so we're going to actually have to do some chemotherapy. They said, but hey, you're young, don't worry, Uh, it's going to be easy for you, there's going to be no problem, you're going to take it very well, and uh, we're going to um, start that here in just a couple weeks. So. I said, all right, no problem, and, and, and they said, yeah, you're going to lose your hair, and I said, well, that's really not that much of a problem, but uh, they said, you'll have some side effects, but because you're young, you'll be fine, so I went into the hospital after a couple of weeks, and um, I got my first round of chemotherapy, and it was at the uh, UC Davis Hospital, uh, University Research Hospital in Sacramento, California, <clears throat> some of you may know that hospital. And I got my first round, and everything went fine. And they said, Hey, you can do whatever you want as long as you stay away from sick people. And they said, Don't get into crowds. And they said, But if you have energy to to do whatever you want to do, just go ahead and do it. So after that first round, I thought, Man, you know, I don't know what people who take chemotherapy think, uh, complain about, because I feel pretty good. And so I didn't realize that the more you take it, the worse it gets. But uh, so I got out on a Sunday evening from the hospital. So the next day on Monday, I felt pretty good. So I went to work. In fact, I taught some classes and uh, I was hanging out with my students and I noticed that some of them had uh, a bit of a cold and I tried to stay away from them. But, you know, I thought, well, they told me to stay away from sick people, but I'm doing pretty good. Well, the next day I woke up, I wake up. And I don't feel so good. This was on Tuesday. I went into work. I had a teaching, a class I was gonna teach. So I was teaching that class, and I was very hard to finish that class. I actually had to pull up a chair and sit in a chair to finish the class. And my students told me, they said, Man, you don't look good. And I looked at myself in the mirror, and my face was literally like gray. It was bad. And so I went up to my office. And I and, and I note, I remember that it was very cold, and so I, I turned my heater on, and I laid my head down on my desk, and I laid there for probably about two to th- two and a half to three hours. My legs began to get stiff. I was freezing cold, and it almost got to where I couldn't move. So finally, I mustered up enough energy, and I told my coworker, "Hey, I'm going to go home." Uh, i'm going to just rest the rest of the day i'm not feeling so good so i i honestly to this day have no recollection how i got home i think like i don't even think my hands were on the cereal i literally think an angel was probably driving my vehicle but somehow i made it home 15 minute drive and i walk into my house and when i did i blacked out and i almost fell down the staircase but i managed to catch myself i went over and i just fell straight down on the couch and in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, well, these are just the normal side effects of chemotherapy. I'm just going to take a nap and I'll be fine. But something was telling me, you need to call your doctor. So I called my doctor and I told him my side effects or my symptoms. And he said, you need to go to the emergency room right now. And so I said, okay, you know, I'll, I'll do that. And I hung up and, and I called my wife who was working. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't really think it was that serious. So she said, Well, I have about 30 minutes left of work left to do. And then it was a 30 minute drive home. She says, When I'm finished here, I'll drive home and I'll take it to the hospital. I said, Okay, I I should have called an ambulance, found out later. So I laid there and she came and she took me to the hospital. When they saw me, they took me right back. They took my vital signs. My temperature was about 104, over 104. My blood pressure was through the roof. Um, it was like, uh, I forget what it was. No, no, I remember what it was. It was low. It was not high. My, my heart rate was high. It was like 180. My blood pressure was 55 over 27 when I checked into the hospital. They did some blood work, and my white blood cell count, your white blood cell count, we have it in nursing majors here, supposed to be at least what? Five. Five, right? When they did the blood work, mine was 0.2. I had zero immune system, and I had developed a septic infection. So they rushed me right up to ICU, and they put a central line. They had had an IV in each arm, and they had a central line in my neck. And so they began to pump me full of fluids. Now, if you can advance uh, the picture there, I have a couple pictures. Um, This was me, not that one. Uh, Go back. Uh, sorry, I didn't want you to reveal it too fast. That's me actually before I took the chemo- first round of chemotherapy. And then um, I checked out on a Sunday. Then on Tuesday, this is what I looked like. You can click it. There I was. And I had literally was almost on my deathbed. And they had to fill me with so much fluid. You can see there my belly is really big because um, they had filled me with about 40 pounds of fluid, and they were trying to flush that thing out. The problem with the infection was they couldn't track it because my white blood cell count was so low. So they sent me right up to ICU, and there um, there I spent that night, and they thought that I was not going to make it through the night. And so my wife was there with me, Um, She tried to go home at a certain late hour and they actually called her back because my blood pressure kept going up and down and uh, they thought that I was literally going to die. Um, I remember that the next day, the doctor came in or a day or two later and he tried to actually sit me up and get me up out of bed. And they sat me up, they put me in a chair and then they all left and my heart rate started going uh, like through the roof and I almost had a heart attack. And my wife had to run out there and bring them back in. My, uh, and they put me back in the bed. The doctor said, I guess we won't try that again. Well, my legs were paralyzed because of the infection, so I could not even move my legs. I could not even lift them one inch off the bed. It was very, very traumatizing. And I, I didn't understand what was happening. So for the first few nights, um, they weren't sure if I was going to make it. They didn't tell me that. I didn't know that. But they did tell my wife that and they weren't sure if I was going to live uh, even one more day. Now, something happened that was very, very powerful, and I'm going I'm to kind of shorten this because there are some other things I don't want to share with you, but if you'll advance the slide there, um, there's me on oxygen. I actually developed pneumonia. This was after my hair; all my hair fell out. You know, I, I do have just a little bit of hair that fell out, okay? And so you can advance again. Um, there it is, Uh, I was on oxygen, Um, so I developed pneumonia, and I had several things. This is one of the pictures that I told you where I looked really gray, um, very much near death. You can advance again. Um, Again. There. So I had students, I had about 60 students at that time, and they all came down to the hospital. My wife had sent out uh, messages on Facebook asking people to pray for me, And, and I don't i don't understand it except the lord was just in it that there were thousands of people praying for me all across the world and even to this day when i go different places people come up to me and they say our whole church was praying for you when you were sick i have no idea who these people are but somehow they got the message and they were praying for me but i had these students and they came down to the hospital and they did a prayer walk around the hospital and Uh, i was in the uh, i was in the icu room and i wasn't doing well and they did a prayer walk seven times around the hospital praying that god would intervene and uh, then they climbed up if you can advance i think one or two more there Uh, there they are they climbed up on this hill and they were waving to me from the hill there was my room right there and there they are waving my wife took a picture through the thing i was in bed i couldn't see them But here's something very profound. The evening that they prayed, they said that when they finished praying, they gathered in a circle and had one final prayer together. And when they were praying, there was a white dove that was flying around them. And when they finished that prayer, that dove flew away. Well, that evening, uh, I, I went to sleep and I woke up the next morning and there was the the strangest thing that had happened. It looked like something out of a movie. But on my hip there was this this protrusion, and it stuck out about this far, and it just looked like a cone. And what had happened is the infection that was in that was killing me. I was literally dying. Had actually festered and and, and collected into a certain point. And when they when I saw it, I, I tried to tell the nurse, and she said, "Oh, honey, that's just the." The fluid and said no i think you should come over and look at this and so she came over she looked at it and her eyes got really big and she called for the doctor and he came in and he looked at it and his eyes got really big and then they sent me down to surgery what had happened is that that thing had festered and when they cut it open and drained it they were able to test it and know exactly which uh what type of infection it was and specifically which antibiotic would treat it so once that happened They began to give me a certain antibiotic, and I began to get better almost instantly. Within hours, I was feeling better, and I was coming out of that slow time of death. Does that make sense? So, my group of students had prayed that evening. The next morning, the weirdest thing happened, and I believe that was a turning point for me. Now, in the middle of that night, I remember waking up at about 2 or 3 in the morning, And I remember, and and this is—I've never had this type of experience since. But I remember having almost this, just this overwhelming sense that my life was hanging by a thread, and literally it was. And I cannot explain it except if anybody's had, if anybody's been near death through an accident or something. I'm not talking about the near-death experience where you go through the light of tunnel. I'm not what I'm talking about. But it's just this overwhelming sense that your life is in danger. Your life is on the line. And it just literally felt like my life was hanging between heaven and earth. And I realized that God was very near, and yet I did not have this sense of peace in my heart if I was going to die. And I began to pray, and I began to, and I just began to talk to God. And I said, God, I don't know what's going to happen here. I don't know what uh, what my life is going to hold. Only You know. I said whether I'm going to live or die. And I said, God, but whatever happens, I want to be totally and completely surrendered to You. I want my life to be a reflection of who You are. And I said, and I want to make the choice right now that whether I live or die, I want to have Your peace in my heart. And I want to have Your peace in my life. And I want other people around me to know that Your peace is in my life. So please, if I'm going to die, then let it be done in such a way that it'll bring glory to You and people will know that You are the center of my life. If You allow me to live, help everybody to know at every step that you're the one that's in control. And guys, I'm telling you, never in my life had I had a greater sense, a greater impression that I had to surrender my life to God or my life might very well end and I would not be ready to meet that death. Now we're all young here, most of us I think. I was 28 years old and I had never had a stronger impression like that before. And the reality is, we don't need to have that type of situation in our lives to have that sense and that need. Are you with me? You have that need right now. I have that need right now. To know that God is the center of your life and that your life is fixed in Him. Your life is anchored in Him and you've made a decision to fully surrender your life to him if you don't have a sense of that need it's because we have been blinded by the things of this world that's the simple answer because i'm telling you there were things that changed in my life after that experience now i'm not what i'm not saying is this i'm not saying that you need to have some worked up experience in order to know god i'm not saying that at all but what i am saying is our hearts have to have the sense of need for him are you with me and if we are not having that need, if we're not sensing that need that our life is totally dependent upon Him, then we need to begin to pray that God will create that need in our lives. Because until we have that need, He's not able to fill it. Until we have our, an understanding and a sense and a conviction of the need for Christ to be the centerpiece of our lives, then we will always seek to fill that gaping hole with something else. Are you with me? Whether it's your school, whether it's your career, whether it's a significant other, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, or whether it's a drive for, for, to become wealthy, or whatever it is, you're going to fill it with something else and you're not going to sense that need. But I guarantee you, if you begin to pray and ask God, God, I need to know for fact that you are the center of my life. I need to know with certainty that you are the focal point of everything that I am and everything that I do. I need to know, God, that I have made that decision for you completely and fully. I need to know it. And if, I've not made, if that's not the case in my life, if I'm deceiving myself into believing and thinking that I have made that choice, but I really haven't, then God, please, I need you to reveal it to me. Because that's the experience that I had. And I'm going to share something with you a little bit later that is very significant. Now if you'll advance there, keep going there. Once I had that, I had made that decision, I prayed that prayer, and I don't want it to sound like a little cliche that, oh, I prayed a prayer and I had the peace of Jesus. That's not what, I'm, that's not what I want you to grasp here. But I'm telling you, I had never been faced with death like that before. I had never been faced with the need to make a full decision and a full commitment for Christ. I had never been faced with that to, to that depth. I had, tomorrow you'll hear my conversion story and how I first surrendered my life to God. And that was the closest, but never before. And friends, my life began to shift. I began to see things differently. And my purpose for God, my purpose for living for Him became more deep. I began to get better after that that te- that took place and the doctors were amazed at how quickly I was recovering. In fact, I was recovering so quickly that in just about another 10 days, they sent me home. Well, about the day or two before I went home, my oncologist came back to me and he says, "You know, he says, I know you've been through this very difficult thing. He says, I know you've been through this challenge." in your life. He says, I know that this, this thing has really drained your energy. He says, but I'm going to give you a week to go home and rest, but you're going to have to come back and take your next chemo treatment or else uh, the chemo's going to begin not to respond. It's going to not work because you've waited for too long. And I'm thinking to myself, man, like I almost died and I'm tired and I don't want to do that anymore, but I had to go back. And so um, the day before or a couple days before I left the hospital. Uh, I, I, I was able to get up and start moving again, uh, even though for about two weeks my legs have been paralyzed and I was bedridden. I got up and I walked through physical therapy and whatnot. And I remember that I was walking down the hall, and I had—I was carrying—I was using a walker at 28 years old. I had an oxygen tank pulled behind me, and I remember going into the bathroom and looking at myself in the mirror. And I saw my face and I saw myself. I didn't look quite that good. This was a little bit before that time. And I remember looking at myself and I said, Man, you look like an 80 year old man. And I was 28. You're using a walker, you got oxygen. You look like an 80 year old man. And that's when it suddenly dawned on me that you know what? Our life is nothing but a vapor. Our life is just a moment that passes by in the the eyes of eternity. And at any moment, the youth and energy and and the vigor that we have can just be wiped out in just a a heartbeat of time. Are you with me? Anything can happen. I'm not trying to say that to scare anybody, but the reality is, is that what we think we have, we will not always possess. And everything that we have is given to us as a gift and so as I began to continue to recover they did some scans and they realized that um, uh, they did some scans after a couple more rounds of chemo and they checked me actually early and they found out that all the cancer had been gone so I believe that God really did heal me but I believe that he didn't just do a miracle I believe he did do miracles along the way but I also believe that he used modern medicine to help me as well. I believe that God uses both. And so as I began to recover, um, several things began to happen. If you'll advance that slide, I want to just share uh, a couple stories with you. My wife was always with me. She was by my side, and um, I appreciate her. She would work all day long and then stay with me long into the night, and she always was there with me. If you want to advance that again, um, this was the first day I got home. Uh, from the infection, I was on, still uh, had several more rounds of chemotherapy to take, and uh, there I was on oxygen, hence the shirt that I had. You can advance that. There was a nurse that was taking care of me, and uh, this nurse was in the first few nights of my, of my stay at the hospital, and she would always come in about every five to ten minutes to check me because I was in ICU. And I had on this, the, the mask, and every time my breathing would get too shallow, there would be this little alarm that would go off, and it would begin to beep and ring. And so, as I would go to sleep, my breathing would get shallow, and then all of a sudden that thing would start beeping. And it would just keep waking me up. Like every time, every five to ten minutes, I would just wake up. And it, you know how when you're trying to sleep and something keeps waking you up, what happens to you? You just get all happy and sweet, don't you? Is that that your experience? You start to get what? You start to get irritated, right? So this nurse would come in and she would say, Mr. Peppers, if you will uh, breathe more deeply, the beeping will stop. And she probably said that about four different times. And finally, finally, you know, after being woken up several times, I just kind of snapped and I got very irritated. And I said, ma'am, I said, I'm trying to breathe as deeply as I can. I said, but that thing keeps going off. I said, Would you, could you adjust it or something? She says, no, I can't adjust it. You're just going to have to breathe more deeply. I said, I'm doing the best I can. And I said it, I didn't say it like really mean, but I said it mean enough. Does that sound like I'm justifying myself? But anyway, so I said that, and, and I noticed that her face just kind of wilted, and she turned around and she went out and when she went out the holy spirit began to speak to my heart and he said this he said i sent this woman to take care of you and to save your life is that how you're going to treat the gift that i've given to you is that how you're going to treat the person that i sent to help you and this is when the, you know this is in the same night that I told you that I'm wrestling with this with this concept of surrendering my life fully to God. And the Lord said to me, I didn't hear an audible voice, but it's a strong conviction in my heart. You need to apologize to this woman. You need to ask for her forgiveness. So I I I I was convicted, I repented of that, and I said, "Lord, I'll do it when she comes back in." So she comes back in just a little bit later. And the Lord says, you need to do it now. And I said, you know, maybe I'll do it tomorrow. He said, no, you need to do it now. And I kind of fought back and forth. And it was interesting because she did everything that she needed to do. And I was like fighting conviction to speak to her. And she goes over to the door and she tries to exit out of my room and the door will not open. The door is jammed. The handle won't work. And she can't get out. And she's shaking that handle. And the Lord's just overwhelmingly convicting me Talk to her now. Talk to her now. And so finally, I spoke up and I said, You know, ma'am, I said, I wanted, I called her by name and I said, I just wanted to say how deeply sorry I am for the way that I treated you earlier because um, I'm a minister of the gospel and I'm a Christian and I should not have spoken to you that way, especially someone who's helping me the way that you are, who's sacrificing yourself for me. And I said, You know, I want you to know that I believe that God sent you to save my life. I believe that God is using you to save my life. And when I said those words, she stopped shaking the handle, and she turned around and she looked at me, and there were tears in her eyes, and she was crying. And she said, I'm a Christian as well. And she says, and my faith was shaken a little bit. She says, I knew you were a pastor. She said, my faith was shaken a little bit. And she says, "But this apology actually strengthens my faith." And she says, "And she says, and I'm thankful that you said that to me because I, I, I was I was just torn up about it." And I said, "You know, God was convicting me to say that to you, and it changed her life." When I finished that apology, she went over to the door and it opened like it was a brand new doorknob. It was it was mind blowing. And she went out. And I had her for a few more nights. But this lady had saved my life. Can you go to the next slide? There was another man that uh, I had been talking to, and this man, uh, his name was Bill, and I was going in for another chemo treatment. You know, sometimes we'll ask the question, you know, God, why is it that you are allowing these things to happen to me? How many of you have asked that question before? You've had troubles in your life, and you're saying, God, why is this thing happening to me? I don't understand it. Why is it that that, that this negative thing is happening to me? And I found out, I realized through all this, that that was actually the wrong question for me to ask. I was asking a terribly wrong question. Instead of asking, God, why is this happening to me? I began to ask the question, God, how can you bring glory to yourself through this how can this transform my life god how can this thing bring me closer to you and how can it bring me closer to others and when i began to ask that question instead of why is this happening to me a whole host of things began to shift my whole mindset shifted and i began to see things in a bit of a different way now, i have this text i want to share with you second corinthians chapter 1 verse 3 and 4 look with me there if you have your bibles 2nd corinthians chapter 1 verse 3 and 4 and it says this 2nd corinthians chapter 1 verse 3 and 4 it says blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ the father of mercies and the god of all comfort how much comfort is god the god of how much are you guys still awake say how much all that means that there is absolutely no thing or no circumstance in life that you can go through that God cannot draw close to you and strengthen you through it is that true yes or no why because he's the God of what all comfort. And maybe you're here this week because you've got some kind of trial, you've got some kind of difficulty, you've got some kind of challenge in your life, and you're saying, well, maybe these meetings will help. Maybe I can find an answer here. Well, I want you to know tonight that God tells us He's the God of all comfort. And if it seems like He's not drawing close, it's maybe because we're not drawing close enough to Him. Are you with me? Sometimes God is this close to us He's right there beside us, but our minds and our hearts are so dulled by the darkness of this world and the darkness of our lives that we don't see Him. Are you with me? The Bible tells us that even Jesus on the cross said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God was right there, the Bible says, reconciling the the world to Himself through the death of Christ. So sometimes, though it may seem like God is far from us, or it may seem like God is not as distant and He's not near, He's actually very, very near to us. Are you with me, yes or no? And so it says, He's the God of all comfort. Verse 4, who comforts us in how much tribulation? All tribulation. Well, what about mine? Why isn't it it that God is doing that for me? Well, maybe you're not asking the right question maybe you're asking the question god why is this happening to me i think if there's any person in the world who ought to be able to have the right to ask that question it was jesus on the cross god why is this happening to me but he already knew the answer to that question and he knew the answer to that question was your salvation and my salvation Who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So sometimes, friends, God allows us to go through these trials because he wants to draw us closer to himself. God doesn't cause the trials. God does not enjoy seeing us go through pain, but pain and suffering are the consequences of a broken world. That's the world that we live in that's the reality that we face but there is no one who has suffered more pain and the great controversy than god himself because his love is how big it's infinite are you with me so whenever we think about the pain that we've experienced if we just lift up our heads and look into the heart of god we will see that he has gone through much greater than us And still yet, He sets that pain aside that He may comfort us in all our tribulations. How many of you are thankful for that today? And I said, God, what I've gone through, what I'm going through here, is just a microcosm of what You've gone through only because You want me to live with You for eternity only because you want to make it possible that i can be close to you and i said so god it's not that i i I, it's not that i want to just just put off my pain and say oh it's not really that big deal no it was a real thing to me and i was hurting but i realized that god was right beside me holding the hand of his, uh, his hand over his heart saying i'm hurting too you understand it hurts me to see you hurt but sometimes that pain is necessary to develop are the trust that we need to allow Him to carry us through it. And not only that, but it says He comforts us with all the comfort so that we can comfort others who are in any trouble. Sometimes we may, uh, you know, sometimes we go through negative circumstances and negative problems because we make bad choices. How many of you find that's true? You get yourself with a boyfriend or a girlfriend that's not God's will for you. You get a little too close you do things you shouldn't do and those kind of things happen and then you get yourself in a bad situation and your heart is broken and that person decides they don't want to be with you anymore and then you're like wow i just lost my purity to a guy i barely know god why did you allow this to happen to me well god was like well actually if you recall all the way through i was trying to get you to break it off but you didn't and it's led to this are you with me we get ourselves in these kind of situations sometimes because of our bad choices. Is that God's fault? No. But sometimes God will allow us to go through a trying circumstance because He wants us to draw closer to Him and, he, and, and simply because He trusts us. That when we, when we trust Him to guide us step by step through that trying circumstance, He will then use that to reach other people that we could have not reached before we went through that difficult thing. Are you with me? Yes or no? That's what the Bible says. It says that He, he comforts us in all tribulation that we may be co- able to comfort others. And that when I began to ask the question, Lord, not why, but how can I be drawn closer to You through this? How can others be drawn closer to you through this? And how can others be drawn t- towards each other through this? Everything began to change. God put me in a room with this man, but let me tell you this real quick first. You remember the nurse that I got so irritated with? Are you with me? You remember that lady that I, that I spoke to nastily and then I had to forgive, ask forgiveness? I want you to understand this point. Sometimes, it's the little things in life that irritate us the most that we think, why has God, why have you put these things on my life? Why do I continue to have to deal with this thing? It's actually sometimes those little things that irritate us in life that God uses to save our lives. Now as you reflect upon your own life, how many of you find that to be true? It's those things that save us because it's those things that drive us closer to him and that they reveal in our own heart they reveal to us what's really in our own hearts are you with me we can think ourselves good we can think ourselves kind we can think ourselves converted but sometimes god has to open that thing up pretty wide and pretty deep to reveal to us hey you know what there's something right there that's really hindering your growth back into My image. That's hindering the new creation that I want to make of you. That's hindering the deeper walk that I have for you. There's this thing that's unsurrendered in your heart and your life that's hindering you. That's preventing you. That's even in some cases, killing you. And God says, you know what? You've got to give that thing to Me. Are you with me? But when I began to ask that question, God, not why but how everything changed god put me in a room beside this man and i'll just tell you quickly and i was really wanting to have my own room and in fact when i first went to the hospital i said god please i'm so tired i'm so sick i don't feel good i just want my own room and and i actually got my own room and i was like oh lord thank you so much but then i remembered lord not it's not about me it's about who It's about You, Lord. And I said, Lord, I remembered. I would not ask You why, but how. God, if You have a different plan implemented. Five minutes later, the nurse walks in. and She says, you know, I'm terribly sorry, but we just had a patient come in that's really severe, and they need to have a room to themselves, so we're going to move you to another room. And they put me in another room with this elderly man who was dying of liver cancer... And I began to talk to this man and, and, and he told me about his life and he said, this is what I did with my life and now I'm here alone by myself. My children don't come to visit me. He says, I've made a lot of mistakes and he says, my life is coming to an end. He says, I only have two or three weeks left to live. I don't know what exactly I'm going to do. And, and, and so we were talking about that a little bit and he said, well, what do you do for a living? I said, well, as a matter of fact, I'm a pastor. He said, you're a pastor. He said, I was praying that a pastor would would come to talk to me. What kind of pastor are you? I said, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist pastor. He said, oh my goodness, my wife was a Seventh-day Adventist. He said, I used to go to this church that I, I had attended that church before. I knew that church. He said, I went to the Roseville Church. And he said, I used to help them in the Christmas play. He said, I was the voice of God in the Christmas play. I said, brother... Did you ever join the church? He said, no, I never joined. I said, well, what hindered you? He said, he said, I never just felt that I was good enough to be a part of the church. I never thought that I was good enough that God would accept me and, and, and He would forgive me. And I said, brother, let me tell you today that God's gift of salvation to you is not because you're good enough. It's because He's good enough. It's not because of your goodness, but His goodness. And He wants to give that gift to you. There's nothing that you can ever do to make good or bad, to make God love you any more or less than He already does. And I said, tonight, my friend, Jesus has the robe of righteousness for you. And you can have it, and you can know, and wh- whether you have two weeks, two years, or 200 years left to live, you can know That you are right with God and you can have a friend and you will not be alone. And I shared the gospel with him. I said, is there anything preventing you from saying, Lord, I want to give my life back to you. I want to surrender my life fully to you. And he looked me right in the eye with tears and he said nothing. Nothing at all. I said, would you like to make that decision now? He said, please, I want to make that decision. And I led him in prayer, and he gave his life back to Christ. And when we prayed, I looked in his face, and his face was just beaming with joy and peace. Literally physical change in his face. He had received that gift from Christ. Why? Had I not prayed that prayer, Lord, not why, but how, that man would have died in Christ's grave. Maybe God would have reached him, but it wouldn't have been through me. You understand? You understand? Sometimes the trials that you go through are because God wants to use you for something greater, and He's preparing you. Are you with me? You can go on. I'm almost through here. And I began to get better, and God kept bringing people into my life to witness to. And you know, I remember that sometime later I began to... Uh, go do mission trips again, and I was preaching even in the same year. They told me that they said it will take you two years to be able to even get back to normal. They said, you won't even go to work for a year. I went to work within two months of God working that miracle for me to rise up out of that bed and, and work for Him. And I actually began to think to myself, you know God, You have raised me up You've saved me from death so that I can preach your gospel all around the world. And I began somehow to, to, to self-deceive myself, and I began to flatter myself, and I began to think, you know, I've got something special to share here. I've got something really nice that I can, I can preach this message. Uh, God wants me to preach His message all around the world. He wants me to share this testimony, and thousands of people will come to Him through this testimony. And it was true, but I began to get prideful about it. You understand? And God showed me this letter that had been written to a man by Ellen White, and, in, not, and I have the words on there, but I'm not going to read them to you tonight. I'm just going to paraphrase it quickly. But she wrote to this man who had been sick on his deathbed, whom God had miraculously healed, same as me. And she said, "You." She says to the man, and I'm semi-quoting here. She says, "You flattered yourself to think." that God had a special work for you to do because He healed you and rose you up from your sickbed. She says, but the truth was that actually God healed you out of mercy towards you, and she says this, because you were unprepared to die. She said, Satan stood by your bedside ready to take your life. And out of mercy, And out of love for your eternal salvation, God raised you up that you might have another chance to fully surrender and give your life to Him. When I read that statement, when I read that letter, I began to cry. And I cried for two solid hours sitting at my desk in my house by myself because I realized that that was my exact story. As I reflected back, I knew that I was unprepared to die. And God had saved my life, not for my glory, but out of His mercy. Not for my ego, but for His glory. And I repented of that then. And I said, "Oh Lord, please forgive me because my life has been about me. And my friends, I'm telling you, if there's anything that you could ever get in this life, it is that your life is not about you. Our culture, our society, our media, our entertainment, our just about everything that you are swamped with on a daily basis is absolutely all about you. You, un- you understand that. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Everything is about you even the signage it'll say you know you and whatever just today i took my mom my mom was diagnosed three weeks ago with stage three lung cancer we don't know how much time she has left she has anywhere from from two years or two months to a few years we don't know and i took her there today to get her first treatment before i came up here And even in the notebook they gave her, it said chemotherapy and you. Even in your sickness, I mean, like they just make the focus. You understand what I'm saying? But life is not about you. There is a greater purpose. There is a greater calling. There is a greater life that God has for you when you take your focus off of yourself and put it upon Him. Because He is worthy to have your focus put upon Him. Are you with me? You are not worthy to let your own life be focused upon you. You're not, you're not good enough for that. And I'm just going to tell you that. And I'm not good enough for that. But God is calling you to something different, something bigger, something deeper. He's calling you to His plan, not your plan. And let me tell you, you will enjoy and you will appreciate and you will like His plan much better than yours. And you will have a much fuller life. Are you with me today? Yes or no? One last story as we close. There was a young man while I was in ICU who came in. And uh, he came in by ambulance. And he was uh, taken right up and he was placed in the room right next to mine. And he laid in there, and I asked the nurse what was going on, what was in there, because the the police officer was there and his family came in, and she told me this. He was a young man. He He was exactly my age. 28 years old. And this young man... Uh, I think it's on the next slide. You can flip it there. Nope. Next one. That's not him. Nope. Next one. There it is. This young man was, uh, had gotten depressed. And so he decided that he was going to end his life. And he took a bottle of vodka and he drank an entire fifth of vodka. A large bottle. And he drank that whole thing. And then he had these patches that the doctor had given him for pain. And you're only supposed to use one of those patches like every two weeks or something. He took about 60 of those patches. He put them in his mouth. He chewed them up, chewed all the juice, squeezed as much juice as he could out of them, and swallowed all of that juice after drinking that bottle of vodka. And he slipped into an unresponsive coma. And someone found him and had called the ambulance and they brought him in. The next day, he lived through that day, and then the next night, 28 years old, he died. So here am I, 28 years old, fighting for my life in this room. And here's this other young man, unresponsive, fighting for his life in the other room. And I'm thinking to myself, God, what's the difference between him and I? I don't I don't understand it. What's the difference? Why is it that he is in that state, and why am I in this state? I just don't understand it. And I didn't get an answer. I don't know why. But for some reason, he chose to bring an end to his life when his life could have been spared. Now I want to say this tonight. That man died. I don't know what his situation. I don't know what his condition was with God. I don't know. But I know that he was depressed and I know that he made an initial or or an intentional effort to take his life. But what if one of God's people, maybe somebody like you, had said, you know what, God, I'm going to ask how instead of why. When I look at my life, God, I'm not going to put my focus on all the negatives i'm not going to look to focus on my problems i'm not going to put the focus on all those things but i'm going to say god i want you to be the focal point of my life and i want to live my life for you and god you direct my footsteps you direct everything that i do and if somebody had not made that choice maybe they could have made it to that young man before he put that bottle to his mouth and said hey there's a different thing to live for You don't have to make that choice. You don't have to choose to end your life because there's a God in heaven who's already given his life so that you can live. Are you with me? I'm not trying to make people, I'm trying to help you understand that somebody else's life can be saved because you make the choice today to give your life fully to God. Are you with me? That's a very powerful thought that God, when your life is surrendered to Him, God will save you. He's made that sacrifice for you, but it's not just about you. There's somebody else that He wants to save through you. Are you with me? And there might be that young man out there. There might be somebody right here on this campus of Southern University who's thinking about it's not just about people who are who are thinking to take their life it's about somebody who's out there partying and doing whatever without a care in the world not realizing the time in which we now live that earth is coming to you. it might be somebody who has no clue what god has done for them but through you giving and yielding your life to god he can use you to bring somebody else hope in a world of chaos and a world of brokenness and a world of darkness. And my question tonight for you is how will you respond with the life that God has given you? What are you doing with your life today? Are you focused just on your studies and your degree and your life and your career? and your spouse, future spouse, and that future house that you're thinking about, that future, whatever it is, past, present, or future. Maybe you're focusing on a problem or bitterness. Maybe your parents weren't the best parents. I mean, my parents weren't the best parents. I could tell you stories. I'll tell you some tomorrow. But maybe, I don't know what your situation is, But have you said to the Lord, I'm going to surrender my life to you because I want you to use my life to make a difference in the world today. God, I want you to take control of my life because my friends, if we have not made that surrender to God, we're going to float through life in just an absolute state of cloudiness and chaos. You ask anybody that's older than you about that and they can tell you all about it. And so God offers you tonight to say, I want to yield my life to you. I want to give my life to you, and I want you to use it to do something glorious for yourself, Lord, because it's not about me, it's about you. You paid a price for me, and I do not belong to myself, I belong to you. So tonight, I'd just like to make an appeal and say, and invite you to make that decision tonight. I don't know what that means for you. I don't know what that future holds. But there may be something in your life that you're saying, Lord, I need that thing to be surrendered to you. And it's not about I'm going to work myself up to do it. It's not about I want to feel how I want to feel about doing it. It's about me just saying, Lord, I know it's there. I'm going to choose. I'm making the decision tonight to give my life wholly to you. Whatever that means, Lord, I don't know. But I don't need to know. I just need to know that my life is surrendered tonight. And maybe that's you tonight. And if that's you, this is not a general invitation for everybody to stand, but if that's you and you specifically and personally and individually want to make that decision tonight, just stand up wherever you are. All you got to do is stand up to your feet if the Lord is calling you tonight. I'm not saying that this is just for people who want to accept Jesus for the first time, although it is. But if that's you, that's fine. That's great. Praise the Lord. But if there's somebody also that just says, Lord, I just need to surrender my life to you. And I'm making that choice. Would you stand? Do we have a closing song that we're singing? Or are we just closing with prayer? Just prayer. I'm going to close with prayer. And if there's anybody tonight who wants to continue to make that decision, you can stand while I pray. But friends, if you're wrestling tonight, what would prevent you from making that surrender today? Is there anything worth hanging on to to not have that surrender And I plead with you tonight, don't leave this place without making that surrender to Him. As we pray, Father in Heaven, tonight we thank You so much for the sacrifice that You've given to us. Lord, You are real. You are directing the course of this world. The chaos that we see in this world today is not from You but You are bringing it to a climax and a close. But You've been patient because every single one of us has a special place in Your heart tonight. And You've loved us. And You've paid an infinite price for us. A price that not even the highest angel in heaven could pay. And Lord, You've done nothing to us that should cause us to distrust you. But we should distrust ourselves. We should distrust Satan and we should distrust this world in our own hearts. But we have every reason to put our trust fully in you. So tonight I pray that that will be our decision. It will be our choice. And for those that have made that decision tonight, I'm thankful for it, Lord. There may be others tonight that still need to make that decision, and, and you could, Lord, just impress their hearts to do it right now. As we give ourselves to you, Lord, may the course of our life shift that we would not let the focus be on us and asking why, but the focus would be on you, asking how. That is our prayer tonight as we lay the foundation for our weekend together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody, say.